This is Jesus speaking. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Makes my knees knock. And that's what the law does. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou So the book of Hebrews is a little different than most of the rest of the New Testament. Apart from the Gospels, most of the New Testament is letters by pastors written to congregations. But the book of Hebrews is a sermon. And as I was preparing for my own preaching this weekend, studying this other pastor's sermon, and I keep saying it that way because we're not really sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some, some people think Paul, some think Apollos. Um, but whoever the preacher is, here's what I came to the conclusion of. He doesn't preach like a Lutheran. <laughs> Now, that's not to find fault. The theology in the book of Hebrews is perfectly fits with Lutheran theology, and it needs to, because we're supposed to be based on Scripture. Um, but when Lutheran pastors are trained, our, the way we're taught to preach is historically is to move from law to gospel. Now, there's a reason for this, and I'll explain why. Because by law, I mean more than the Ten Commandments. Law is any part of Scripture that accuses us, makes us feel our lack, um, and makes us realize we don't measure up. So, I'll give you an example, because it's not just found, it's not, it's not as simple as dividing the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people will talk like it is, but... The law is found in both Testaments and the Gospel is found in both Testaments. Here's a little example of the law from our reading today in the Gospels. This is Jesus speaking. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Makes my knees knock. And that's what the law does. The law accuses us, makes us feel our lack, makes us know our need for a Savior. And then the Gospel assures us that that Savior has been provided. Of course, preeminently in Jesus Christ, but the Gospel is found in the Old Testament as well. We see God saving people again and again and again. And so, the line Jesus says immediately after the one I just read to you in our Gospel reading today is this. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. That's a promise I can rest in. (laughs) 
It assures me that what is needed has been provided by God. And it's not just in the New Testament you find it. Here's, we didn't read from Isaiah today, but um, in our reading that would be assigned for today for Isaiah, it goes like this. It ends, it says Isaiah 66, 23, and the prophet 700 years before Jesus says, from new moon to new moon, which if you're a Jew means from the beginning of the month to the beginning of the month, from Sabbath to Sabbath, week to week, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. A promise of salvation extended to all people, not just to Jews. And we won't even see that fulfilled until the book of Revelation in chapter 21. So this is the way the, we hear the word, is law and gospel. And that's why Lutherans are meant to progress from the preaching of the law, preach the law so everyone knows they need a Savior, and then move to the gospel and remind them that that Savior has been provided. That's our training. There's different ways to preach, but that's the way Lutherans are taught to preach. And the only problem with it is it can leave you feeling a little complacent. It can get to the point where you sort of feel like you want to sing a comfy mattress is our God instead of a mighty fortress is our God. <laughs> and we miss what's going on. And that, that there's more going on in the Bible than simply preaching the forgiveness of our sins and that we're claimed for something greater. And I think that's why the book of Hebrews is structured differently than a Lutheran sermon. His purpose in his sermon is different, particularly this part of the sermon. He's going from law to gospel to law to gospel about every other line. He's keeping us on tender hooks and, and making us walk a line. And I think his reason is the same as what Jesus's is in our reading today. To make us know that there is more going on. That we have been claimed by God for more than just the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is going to shed his blood for more than that. But to make us into totally new kinds of people, God has a much bigger agenda going on. He's got a much greater gift to give us than just forgiveness. Now, in the modern world, uh, as saturated with sex as it is, we tend to think that the Bible's hung up on that particular issue. But when we get into the sermon, uh, when you go further down in the reading from Hebrews, sex is in there and it's very, very small. It's not a focus at all. Um, the first piece is this. As the, as the preacher is transitioning to what we might be dealing with, the first exhortation is this. He says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So peace, not just with people who are like you and people who agree with you, but peace with everyone and then holiness. Now modern Christians are not used to thinking in terms of the serious pursuit of holiness. We are trained, especially here in America, to think in terms of the pursuit of happiness. And it's not exactly wrong, but it's not exactly right. Because in terms of the happiness that the Lord wants to give us, it's much richer and deeper and wider and fuller than anything we would ever pursue left to our own devices. 
God has a much, much broader plan because here's the problem. In our brokenness, we can really learn to love the wrong things. Our loves can become disordered or inordinate would be the theological phrase, aimed at the wrong things. And we're so distorted and disfigured both by the sin within us and by the sin that assaults us from without that the Lord needs to rehabilitate us so we can learn to love what He loves so that when He gives it to us, it is received as a gift. When we were at the National Assembly uh, two weeks ago, our teaching theologian was a really interesting guy. His name's Malcolm Geit. Um, he is a chaplain at Oxford, one of the big colleges at Oxford. Um, so he's a first-rate scholar and a first-rate uh, biblical preacher. But he looks like he just stepped off a Volkswagen Beetle van in 1967. I mean, his hair, if, if, if you're a fan of the Harry Potter movies, looks like Hagrid's. It's just everywhere, and the big beard and the whole thing. And, and he's, he's up there at the National Assembly teaching in his tie-dye t-shirt um, and reading poetry to us and, and strumming his guitar. It felt like a 60s coffee house. Um, and uh, at one point, as he, was, as he was teaching, he shared this with us, that... Um, he was walking into a pub one day. I mean, he's English, okay? Um, but doesn't that sound like the beginning of a joke, you know? An Anglican preacher walks into a pub and, you know. So he's, he's walking in there to meet somebody and he, he hears two guys sitting at a table and, he, and I won't, I'll never forget the way he said it. He said, without a trace of irony, one guy says to the other, you know, life is a game and money is how you keep score." That's, that's how disordered our loves and our priorities can get. And of course that inspired him to write a song that he sang for us. But he also at that time quoted a line from one of my favorite sermons by C.S. Lewis. A sermon entitled The Weight of Glory. And um, I'm not going to preach that sermon to you today, um, but I am going to read the opening lines of it because he preached this sermon during the Blitz in World War II. So imagine you're, you're up on a Sunday morning, he's preaching, and any moment the sirens can go off and everyone needs to scurry for the basement because the bombs could be falling again and blowing the walls off of the church. The sermon begins like this. He says, If you asked 20 good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, 19 of them would reply unselfishness. But if you had asked almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive, and this is of more than philological importance. The negative idea of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good for others, but of going without them ourselves. As if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I do not think this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ 
And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good and to earnestly hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Let me say that again. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. That's the beginning of the sermon. I encourage you to go listen, pick it up and read the rest of it for yourself. But we are too easily pleased. Our loves are too small and confined for God to satisfy them or for them ultimately to be satisfying should He give us what we want. He needs to expand our hearts and our souls so that we can learn to love as He loves and learn to love what He loves. And doing that is what the disciplines of the Christian life are about. The disciplines of the Christian life do not earn heaven for us, but they do begin to make us fit for the heaven we've been claimed for. Now, discipline is not easy. In fact, I love this line from the book of Hebrews that we read today. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I've been learning about discipline in my life in a far less significant role, uh, than far, far less significant target, I should say, than holiness. And it's in karate. I've been doing karate with my son. And every day when we have a, a lesson, this is what the conversation goes like on our way to the dojo. I'm not in the mood to do this today. <laughs> Are you still sore from the yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> it's, especially with the weather we've been having, it's been hot and sweaty and I don't want to get sweaty again, Dad, and blah. And you get in there and then you have to start stretching. And everything got tight in the last 48 hours since you went to the dojo. And so you begin to stretch and it hurts. And then Sensei looks at us and says, you can do better than that, stretch farther. And it hurts more. <laughs> and then we do our training. And you're exhausted and disgusting by the end of it. And yet, What's happening incrementally, day by day, workout by workout, in ways I can't even perceive from workout to workout, I'm getting stronger 
and more flexible. And so is my son. My son can almost touch his knees to the floor now when he does a butterfly stretch, which he definitely could not do three months ago. And I had occasion to discover how much stronger um, I've become. I was finally moving the last box out of storage and into my house after three and a half years. And it was dark and I turned my ankle. Well, I've, I have bad ankles from when I broke my right ankle years ago. And um, the, the stretches and the motions that I've been learning uh, strengthened it so much so that what would have normally been a five or six day limp, I was able to walk off and even be able to work out the next day. So I am getting stronger and I am getting flexible, as unpleasant as every training session is. And yet, that is what we're called to be and do in the Christian life in pursuit of holiness. The Lord is treating us as those who will inherit all He has to give. So He needs to stretch and expand us so we're capable of receiving it with joy. We don't want to be like children making mud pies in a slum because we can't imagine what a vacation at the seashore is like. We want to grow into the fullness of the inheritance for which Christ shed his blood to claim us. So when we've heard the law and know our need and have heard the gospel and know of our Savior, let us give thanks that he has claimed us for far more than merely the forgiveness of sins, but for a deep, abiding, eternal happiness beyond anything we can currently imagine. And he's going to help us to grow into that beginning right now in this life. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Blessed Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise that you so wanted us to be part of your kingdom, that you gave your Son the Prince of Peace to secure our place within it. Now as we seek earnestly peace with everyone and to pursue holiness, strengthen us by His Word. Transform us by the renewing of our minds. Teach us by the disciplines of the Christian life to slowly but surely grow more like Him to learn to love what He loves and as He loves, that we might be a balm for a hurting world. These things we ask in His precious name, which is forever Jesus the Christ. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Be thou my best thought in the day and the night. Waking or sleeping, thy presence my light.